friends, I have good news. If you're looking for episode 37 of Coffee and Kernels, we've come to the right place. I'm Bryce, and this is another episode for this week. You know, I wasn't going to shoot an episode today, but then I decided there's some things that happened this week that I kind of wanted to talk about, so we're going to do just that today. To give you guys a rundown of what's going to go on, we're going to start off with our weekly recap per usual. That's just all the things that I've done within the last week on the main channel, which is the Bankrupt Hippo channel. Then we'll get into some weekend box office talk. We'll go over the weekend box office results from last weekend. We'll talk about the projections that are coming out for this weekend. Then we'll talk about some subtopics, which I'm going to tease right here. We're going to talk about the deleted scene from Joker, or not from Joker, from the Batman that was let out this week about the Joker and my thoughts on it. We're going to talk about my most anticipated movies for the month of April of 2022, of course. And then I'll round off the episode with some weekly recommendations for a movie and a TV show. No video game recommendations this week. So let's jump right in. So for this week, it was mainly all along the movie sphere, along with the little TV sprinkled in. Thursday night, I went and watched The Lost City. It's got Channing Tatum, Sandra Bullock, and it's a really good time. I laughed a lot. My theater laughed a lot. By the time it ended, I felt really happy that I went and saw the movie. It didn't blow me away by any means. It's not like some upscale grand adventure movie by any means. In fact, I heard somebody compare this movie to Uncharted in some ways, and I agree with that in some respects, but Uncharted, this is essentially another variation of Uncharted, but maybe even a little bit more quirky and a little bit more fun. So I especially recommend going and seeing it if you're looking to see a movie with friends. You and your friends will have a great time with this one. It's just the fact that there's so much comedy in it, that's what makes it magical to watch with friends. So what did I particularly enjoy about it? I can put the link to the full review that I put out on the Bankrupt Hippo channel somewhere up here, maybe even in the link in the description below. But I really enjoyed the chemistry between Sandra Bullock and Chang Tatum. I thought they carried the movie quite well. They were funny pretty much throughout the entire runtime. They never got old. They had me laughing within the first five minutes of the movie, and the laughs literally just kept coming all movie long, really consistently, which is great. Another thing I really liked, I was really rooting for Daniel Radcliffe to succeed in this movie. I haven't seen him in a, another role since The Woman in Black, which debuted about 10 years ago, which wow, time flies. And I was hoping he would bring something to the table here, and he does. He really plays this villain, this antagonist, quite well in a number of ways. He just brings a certain sarcasm to it that I don't think anybody else could have brought in. So I was rooting for him to do well. He did well. He performed. And I thought he fit in with Chang Tatum and Sandra Bullock quite nicely. Now, there are some things about this movie that didn't totally work for me. The side characters, I thought, were abysmal at best. I think the movie tried to put more importance to the side characters than they deserved. The side characters weren't well-developed. They weren't interesting. And honestly, they probably could have been cut out of the movie entirely and saved 15 minutes off of the runtime. Not that the movie was, I felt, too long by any means. It's a, just under two hours. But if they would just cut out all these all these attempts at character development for the side characters, I think I would have enjoyed the movie a little bit more. I'll give the exception to Brad Pitt's character because Brad Pitt's character, he's not in it much but when he is he works really well within the context of the movie and makes it better he elevates it so the last thing i'll say that i didn't typically really like there are some moments in this movie where they try to dig deeper into these characters of loretta and alan which are played by bullock and tatum respectively it makes the movie feel a little bit awkwardly paced because you're coming off this momentum of having great comedic time and great comedic scenes between these two actors and then it stops to kind of have this deeper character introspection that 
the movie isn't really going for in the first place. So it just seemed like an odd choice to take all the wind out of the sails to stop and try to get into these characters a little bit more. I just didn't think it fit within the context of the film. It was distracting. And I think the movie could have done without it. Was the movie necessarily worse off for it? Not necessarily because Bullock and Tatum get to show off their acting range a little bit in those scenes. It's just, I didn't think it was particularly necessary to have in the movie. I felt like it betrayed its DNA a little bit. So the lost city full review on the bankrupt hippo channel. I recommend going and seeing it, watch it with friends, laugh a lot, have a good time. The next movie I watched this week was a streaming movie, and it's technically a new release streaming movie. It was The Adam Project. I ended up watching it early on this week, so last Monday. Depends on when your weeks end and begin. I'll just say last Monday. I went and watched it. I watched it on Netflix last Monday. I had a pretty good time with it. I think I was a little bit more generous with my overall score than I probably should have been with the movie, but nonetheless, I had a great time with it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Sean Levy directing Ryan Reynolds again for the second year in a row. If you don't recall, they made Free Guy last August, which was phenomenal. I really enjoyed Free Guy. In fact, I don't think I gave it a high enough score when I reviewed it, but they make Sparks fly again in this movie. Ryan Reynolds plays a very similar, but a little bit more of an endearing character in this one. And he does a great job of working with Walker Scobill, who's his younger version of himself in the movie. You'll have to watch the movie to know exactly what I'm talking about, but what did I really enjoy about the movie? For a few things, this movie, it relies on time travel, which in and of itself doesn't necessarily turn me on in movies. But the thing is, this movie makes it very simple and clear to follow, which is great. I've seen movies that try to do time travel and totally botch it, make it confusing, and just make the movie as a whole unappealing. This movie does not fall victim to that. It keeps you engaged throughout the runtime. It keeps everything clear, and it keeps you from getting lost, which is obviously great. The next thing I really enjoyed, obviously, Ryan Reynolds, his performance was, I thought, superb. He was really funny in the moments he needed to be, but he was really endearing and genuine in others. In a lot of this movie, he's got to provide guidance to other characters, and he's got to help other people. And when he's doing that, you really find it believable. You really get help in rooting for him, and it makes for a greater experience. The last thing I really enjoyed was the supporting cast, and mainly that comes in the form of Mark Ruffalo as Adam's dad. Jennifer Gardner as Adam's mom, and Zoe Saldana as Adam's wife. All three of them really take this movie from being an average or even a good movie to really a great movie with a great experience. The reason being is because of the fact that this movie really relies on a lot of character relationships that go on and them being dynamic. If Ryan Reynolds was the only side of these relationships that was strong and the other side was mer or average, this movie would have suffered because you only get 50% of a good relationship. But the fact that you get two believable parents in Ruffalo and Gardner and a really awesome emotional anchors in the movie in Zoe Saldana, it really just elevates the experience. You get a great performance on both sides of these character relationships and you get a better experience overall. I, they played the most believable people on screen that I've ever seen. Gardner and Ruffalo played the most believable parents I've ever seen on screen, and they just crush it. So the supporting cast really elevated this movie for me. Some things I didn't like, I thought the antagonist was extremely weak, and I thought the conflict was also extremely weak. I didn't mind Catherine Keener's performance as the antagonist. It just felt like not really much thought was given into the antagonist. They, they felt more like just this obstacle that was getting in Adam's way to do what he's got to do than an actual villain with really complex motivations and really interesting 
development, I guess we'll call it. It just didn't make for a very memorable uh, conflict overall. And I think that the movie, it kept the movie from really being elevated in a lot of ways, but it's not so poor to the point where it drags on the experience a whole lot. It's just, it was, it just wasn't good. The, the antagonist just wasn't good and neither was the conflict. So that's all I've got to say on the Adam Project. Full reviews on the Bankrupt Hippo page. Ultimately, I recommend watching it. See it on Netflix. Give it a couple hours. What do you have to lose? And in fact, I'd say it's probably one of the better Netflix movies that has been put out within recent years. The last thing I'll, or actually the last couple things I'll talk about. I thought about going and seeing the outfit this weekend. I was actually going to go see it yesterday, but... Just when I was about to go see it, I ended up seeing reviews for X, which is one of the new slasher horror flicks that's coming out. And now I'm convinced that I don't need to go see the outfit. I should go see X instead. So I'm going to go see it probably today, actually. And I'll probably put a review on it for this week, maybe next weekend. I'll probably review it and Morbius around the same time, just so I can get those on the page and maybe even review an additional streaming movie. We'll have to see how that goes. But X and Morbius, keep your eyes out for those because I'm going to see both of them and review both of them in the near future. Now, the last thing I'll talk about for the weekly recap is the season three premiere of Atlanta. I am a huge fan of the show Atlanta. For those of you who watch the page pretty frequently, I usually am not really into very many TV shows. I can count on one hand how many TV shows I actually enjoy between Atlanta, The Handmaid's Tale, and Peacemaker. Those are really the only three shows that I can definitively say I watch regularly and deeply enjoy. And the fact that we've gotten, it's been 2018 since the second season of Atlanta finished uh, premiering on Hulu. I have been waiting for the show for a long time. I've been jonesing to watch it. I The first two episodes are on Hulu right now. I've only had a chance to watch one. I put a short review on it on all of my social outlets. But the season three premiere of Atlanta, it is definitely a prelude, I think. The reason being is because it doesn't really revolve around our main cast of characters. It actually takes the time to tell a bit of a side story. And no spoilers here, of course, but I'll just say this. It centers around a young boy who goes through a very odd, very harrowing family situation. And apparently it's based on the tr- on a true story. Somebody in the comments section of TikTok told me that it was actually based on a true story. I didn't know that. I thought the show did a phenomenal job in telling that story because it had my attention throughout the entirety of its runtime. So I'll say it was a very, it was a very Atlanta-esque uh, season premiere. I enjoyed it. It tells a good story. There are messages to unpack from it. If you're looking for the main cast of characters to show up in this first episode, you'll likely be disappointed. So just be forewarned in that respect, but watch it, get excited for it and enjoy some Atlanta season three. So Friends, that'll do it for the weekly recap. What have you done this week? Any of these movies strike a note with you? Whatever you think, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. All right, so as promised, let's get into some box office results. We'll talk about the first box office results from last weekend, which is weekend 11 of 2022. This is how it ended up shaking out. Coming in at number one was the Batman. It ended up making $36.7 million at the box office. It's got, I believe, a month run now of being number one at the top box office spot which will likely change this weekend given the projections that we're seeing. But coming in at second was Jujutsu Kaisen Zero making about $18.7 million at the box office, which, oh, I'm sorry, I stand corrected. Not $18.7 million, it made $14.8 million at the weekend box office. Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, $14.8 million at the box office in weekend 11. This movie actually is kind of surprising me in its premiere because it's making a lot more money than I thought it would. Then again, I know almost nothing about the movie, so there's that. 
Anyways, coming in at number three, Uncharted making 7.8 million. Coming in at number four was Axe making 4.2 million. I believe that was its opening weekend. So not a bad showing for its opening weekend, especially for a slasher flick. And then coming at number five is Dog making 4 million. I got to hand it to Dog. It's actually been in the top five a lot longer than I thought it would. It's probably been about a month now, maybe even a little longer that it's been in the top five. And for an hour and a half movie that has a very limited cast, that's not bad by any means. And plus, who doesn't love Channing Tatum? So, friends, any surprises for Weekend 11 box office results? Whatever you think, you know, the comment section is, let me know. But now, let's get into the projections for the week, the 12th weekend of movie going in the United States at the box office. I say projections because when I film these podcast episodes, it's still the weekend. The weekend obviously isn't over, so I can only give projections when giving these. But nevertheless, these are coming from Deadline. The weekend box office projections for the 12th weekend in 2022. Coming in at number one. The Lost City is projected to make $30 million, which, wow, what a smash opening weekend. I didn't think this movie would be good by any means. In fact, I wasn't really looking forward to seeing it all that much. But the fact that it was good and it's making as much money as it is, I say kudos to them. And the fact that they've dethroned or they're about to dethrone the Batman at the box office is even more impressive. Because coming in at number two projected, the Batman is going to looking to make $18.7 million, which means it's being dethroned movie's got to come down sometime right uh coming in at number three is another debut at the international box office more so this movie was not made in hollywood it was made elsewhere it was rrr which made 11.8 million dollars the only thing i know about this movie is the fact that it was its debut weekend and it's a three-hour action flick with an intermission that's all i know i know nothing else about the movie i don't even know where it was uh technically made i just know it's not in the u.s so Take that for its worth. Coming at number four is Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, making $4.65 million. And then coming at number five is Uncharted, just slightly under that, projected to make $4.6 million. So uh, quite a bit to unpack. This, In fact, this weekend's box office got shaken up a lot. In fact, we saw one, two, we saw two uh, top five movies fall out of the top five this weekend. And we saw a couple premieres take that spot very interestingly. And we saw the top uh ticket getter get dethroned so a lot of really cool stuff that happened in the box office this weekend i think the biggest surprise was the lost city making 30 million dollars i didn't think it'd make anywhere near that honestly but kudos to it because it was a good movie so friends that will do it for the weekend 12 projections for the box office what do you make of them you know where the comment section is let me know okay so promised as promised we'll get into the secondary topics for this week We'll start off with my most anticipated movies for the month of April. So I was looking at the most anticipated movies, or actually all the movie releases for the month of April, and there are movies that have sparked my interest. However, there's only a couple that really have my deep interest and anticipation. I'll just give them to you right off the bat. I'm not even going to give reasoning as to why. Ambulance, which is going to debut on April 8th with Jake Gyllenhaal and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II. I'm fans of both of them. The movie looks really intense. Michael Bay is behind it, which he tends to make pretty solid action movies. Time will tell if it's good or not. And then the second movie I'm really excited for, which is coming out on April 15th, is Fantastic Beast 3, which is The Secrets of Dumbledore. I recently became a Fantastic Beasts fan. Like within the last few months, I these movies have been out for years. I haven't had a chance to watch them up until recently. I like the movies. I like the Harry Potter world. I always have. And I'm geeked to see this next one because it's been getting a lot of attention. It's getting a lot of traction. I'm really curious to see how much it's going to make at the box office. I anticipate it'll be a lot. 
Now, the other movies that didn't really make this list, there are a few of them that I think I'm excited or intrigued to see, not excited to see. Morbius, I'm intrigued to see. I'm not too deeply excited to see. The reactions that I've seen for the movie professionals in this industry have been that the movie sucks and that the post credit scene is abysmal. Doesn't do great for my expectations, so that's why it fell out of my most anticipated list. Uh, other movies that I'm kind of intrigued to see, The Northman. <sighs> I'm not deeply anticipated to see it. It's not really a movie that falls deep into my wheelhouse. Nonetheless, I'll go see it, and I am intrigued to see what it might be like. And I guess we'll kind of just have to go from there. But there are a couple of other movies that I won't mention here that I'm kind of excited to see in April, or that I'm going to see them, just not too highly anticipated. So take it for what it's worth. What are you most excited to see in the month of April? Let me know down in the comment section below. All right, so the last secondary topic we're going to get into, which has been a spicy one if you're a Batman fan like myself. Fandango, I believe, put out, or at least Warner Brothers probably put out through Fandango, a deleted scene from the Batman movie that came out recently. And it was an interaction between the Batman and the Joker in this new Batman movie. Basically, what it comes down to is watch it yourself if you're curious. But the Batman goes to Arkham to talk to the Joker about the Riddler to get any information on the Riddler that he essentially can. Maybe the Joker knows something. I'm in the minority on this. I absolutely hated the scene. In fact, I was kind of bummed out that they decided to release it to the public. I mean, it doesn't really matter because it wasn't in the movie. I'm just deeply relieved they didn't put it in the movie because I think it would have kept the movie. It just would have been a distraction. It just would have been a distraction. I wouldn't have enjoyed it. I didn't even like the interaction between the Riddler and the Joker necessarily in the movie either. And I realize I'm probably in the minority on this because a lot of people seem to be really excited about it. I am not. I just didn't think we needed another Joker in this span of time. I just didn't think it was necessary. It felt like a very forced play in general. I mean, if they wanted to not talk about the Joker at all in this Batman movie, and perhaps I maybe I'm even going too far. I it's just I just it just didn't work for me. I guess I could just sum up to the fact that it didn't work for me for a couple of reasons. One, I kind of expected this movie to be a solo Batman movie, so the fact that they're putting the weight of expectation to make a second one inherently makes the first one worse because they're distracting from the first one, and I just don't enjoy that. But I get it. The Joker has been a quintessential character, a very popular character throughout fandom for a long time, so I get it. They probably want to open it up for at least a sequel, perhaps featuring the Joker. I just didn't think it was very necessary. I just didn't think that it was a very important action to have. And ultimately it just served, it would have just served as a distraction to the film. Now, like I said, I am glad they kept out this deleted scene and just kept the small cameo between Riddler and the Joker toward the end of the movie. Cause I think it just would have been a distraction. Now, like I said, I'm in the minority. It didn't work for me, but the one thing I will say that I really enjoyed about this scene in particular is the way it was shot. And also the look of the Joker, you they they made it so you could barely Barry, and they made it so you could barely see uh, Barry Keeglin, I believe his name is. He played one of the characters in the Eternals movie. He's playing the Joker. They made it so you could only really see his silhouette, which I thought was really interesting because it kept my eyes on. I'm like, what does this guy look like? Because his look is a little disturbing. Like his face is a little swollen. It's distorted. His haircut has got like shaved. 
It's like shaved off in some areas, but regular length in others. It's a really wild looking Joker. So I really enjoyed that. I thought it was cool. I thought it was different. I thought it was eye catching and it even was a little bit disturbing. But the fact of the matter is it doesn't change my mind about the fact I thought it just would have felt out of place and a distraction to the movie. So I'm glad Warner Brothers and Matt Reeves decided not to include the scene in the movie because it just wouldn't have made the movie any better. It just would have felt unnecessary. So that's kind of where I stand on the Batman deleted scene with the Joker. I realize I'm in the minority. For those of you who really enjoyed it, by all means, love it and let me know what you loved about it. Whatever you guys think about the deleted scene, you know where the comment section is. Let me know. All right, so let's end this episode with some weekly recommendations. I'll give you a movie, a TV show, and then I'll say see you later. For movie, Kung Fu Panda. Kung Fu Panda is a really awesome, funny animated film that stars a all-star cast of characters. It's about a panda named Poe who has to save a town and fulfill a destiny that he doesn't even know he has yet. So really intriguing. It's on Netflix for, I believe, another three days. So if you can't catch it on Netflix, it's worth renting. It's worth buying. Watch it. You'll laugh a lot, especially if you have a family at home. TV show I recommend is Atlanta. It's a masterpiece of a show. It's written by Stephen Glover and Donald Glover, who are brothers. It's phenomenal. Watch it. It's on Hulu. Give it a shot. So friends, That'll do it for this episode of Coffee and Kernels. Once again, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for joining me. This has been an affiliate with the Bankrupt Hippo YouTube channel. If you like this, click right here if you'd like to see more. I've been Bryson. Until next time, have a great day.